Kira, Adam, this is Brad. Iconically from the iconic Moulin Rouge episode that uh, we just recorded last week. Look, I just want to say that um, I said some things that I think may or may be incorrect in the Moulin Rouge conversation that we had. I think probably the most egregious is that said that Baz Luhrmann was a music video guy. That's just incorrect. I think he directed one music video as like the first thing he ever did in the 80s, but he's definitely not a music video guy. I think he just feels like a music video guy. Like he feels like he would direct music videos or I just completely made it up for no reason at all. So that's just not true. Um, and then I was also thinking more about iCarly and Drake and Josh and a lot of what we were talking about. And, I, you know, I looked it up. iCarly premieres in 2007. Drake and Josh premieres in 2004. So in 2004, I was 16. And in 2007, I was 19. So actually, you know, I was going to call and do like a mea culpa and say that actually maybe – this just isn't accurate what I was talking about before, but maybe maybe it is because maybe Drake and Josh would have been on in the house. You know, maybe it's just the fact that when you go to college, you stop watching cable TV in, in our generations, at least, because you don't have cable and maybe like your parents do for a lot of us. So whatever's on the TV when you're at home is kind of what you watch. But once you leave home, you're not really going to watch TV the same way. So maybe that's really more of what it is. It's like high school and earlier is sort of what you exist on because it exists. Anyway, just kind of thinking out loud. Okay, well, have a good show. Bye-bye. Before we start today's episode of Zillennial Canon, we just wanted to let you know that there's a link in our description to some friends of the pod, including Adam's second podcast, Aggressively Okay, that he hosts with Joe, Back to Back, SeltzerCast, and a few others that we know you'll enjoy. Thanks for supporting us, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Zillennial Canon. This is Ernest from We Bought a Mic. I uh, just wanted to tell you a quick story about Looney Tunes back in action. When I was probably about 13 years old, I was taking guitar lessons at this guitar studio that had a little mini lobby waiting area with a TV uh, and some VHSs uh, to go with it. And there weren't a lot of options to choose from, and Looney Tunes back in action was one of them. And all of us that went to guitar lessons there, we just kind of kept that one in the VHS player uh, or DVD, whatever it was, on loop. Um, So every time I went to go take guitar lessons, I would sit in the lobby and wait for my uh, uh, turn. And I would just watch the movie over and over and over and over and over and over and over every time I went there. Good movie.
Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a Saturday morning on HBO Family. This is Zillennial Canon. I'm Kira. And I'm Adam. And yeah, this was a very pleasant trip back to, what is it, 2003? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like all roads just lead back to 2003 on this podcast. It so. really does. <laughs> they really always really do. It really does. Um, <laughs> you know, just memories of me in kindergarten in 2003 wearing overalls with Tweety Bird on them. Um, one day I matched overalls. Not, not like Tweety Bird ones, but me and my kindergarten teacher both wore overalls one day, and she made me take a picture with her, and my mom was, like, very pleased about it. But Tweety Bird on overalls is very much, like, the vibe of this movie, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and who better to have on this episode than fan of Looney Tunes film critic Caden Gardner. Welcome to Zillennial Canon. Thank you for having me on. I'm very happy that my first appearance is something related to a very sort of obsession. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, first off, like, what is your relationship around Looney Tunes or this movie in general? Well, Looney Tunes is definitely a very important childhood touchstone for me as far as just watching it endlessly on a cartoon network i was definitely obsessed with sort of watching that and and like that was a time before like devo or anything like that when i was starting to watch so it i would just sort of mentally uh make sure to watch any sort of uh, hour hour long block or any sort of marathons of it and i uh, also remember memories of going to the Warner Brothers stores that used to be at the malls, RIP. I'm not yeah. sure the single one left, but I love those and I still have a lot of sort of knickknacks <laughs> and stuff from that. Um, yeah, I was definitely into the Looney Tunes. I had a Tasmanian Devil lunchbox that I still put to good use even years later. And uh, but as far as this movie, like I was 13 at the time and you're sort of in a weird period where you kind of are going through, should I reject the things I liked as a kid to sort of grow up in a way? So I I didn't fully reject the Looney Tunes, but it wasn't like, like that was a, also a time where I was trying to also get into serious movies like Darren Aronofsky shit and all that. <laughs> because that seemed cooler it seemed cooler to be into Johnny Darko and Fight Club than Looney Tunes as a 13 year old so I kind of moved away from that and uh, unfortunately uh, this movie wasn't a financial success either so it seemed like the world wasn't really interested in a Looney Tunes feature however at a certain point I kind of turned returned back to sort of watching it out of sort of interest then I realized it was directed by Joe Dante who had directed so many uh, also touchstone movies like Small Soldiers, Explorers and obviously Gremlins 1 and 2 and I think Gremlins 2 has a kind of sort of interesting sort of connection uh, to this movie and of course a bunch of other movies as well like The Burbs and Matinee but 
uh, yeah, I sort of came back to that, and I so and I definitely, to me, it is the superior Looney Tunes uh, feature movie. Uh, and, but that's also my sort of Joe Dante auteurist sort of perspective, sort of heavily focused on that. Whereas I think Space Jam was directed by a commercial director, and you kind of you can kind of tell in that case. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and the thing is, I didn't know until like last night that this was a Joe Dante movie. Like, and I love Joe Dante. Like, I Gremlins and Small Soldiers were both like super formative movies for me when I was a kid, and I have watched them again semi recently, and I think they both hold up like tremendously. Like, they're just incredible movies. And what I found out last night <laughs> that this was a Joe Dante movie. It, it, it might have been one of the most pleasant, genuine, like, like mind-blowing surprises I've had on the pod for quite some time. Because like, I didn't, because I had no clue this, like, Looney Tunes back in action was a Joe Dante movie. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I didn't realize it until, um, like, for some reason a few years ago. Like, I hadn't seen this since I was a kid, and, like, I did like it when I was a kid. Like, I would watch it, like I said, like, when it was on, like, HBO Family or, like, Stars Kids and Family, whatever it was on, like, in the mornings on weekends. But, um, yeah, Brendan Fraser was a big thing in my house and, like, still kind of is. Um, And I feel like that's what, like, connected this movie to, like, why my family would watch it all the time. But, um, yeah, it... uh, like a few years ago I was like packing up my bedroom or something and like Sean was just like sitting in my room and was like should I just watch this and I was like yeah and he's like it's Joe Dante and I'm like oh I had no idea and I think this was before I had seen Roger Rabbit like I had only seen Roger Rabbit like a few years ago so that definitely gives me like a different perspective I feel like and it's I feel like it's also very zillennial to see this before knowing anything about Roger Rabbit also yeah absolutely yeah I because I saw this back when it first came out I remember I um what do you call it I went to go see it in theaters at the time and I went with my uh my mom and my aunt and I, I can't remember what the general consensus was, but I know I definitely liked it enough at a young age that my mom bought it for me on DVD. And it got a lot of mileage in the household. Like, we watched it quite often. And it was, a, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it was just, it wasn't like one of those, like, general obsession movies. Like, sometimes when, like, when we talked about, like, Shrek or School of Rock or something, like, we'll, um, we'll talk about, like, how we, play those all the times so when know like every line to that movie i don't know every line to this movie uh, it was mostly a new experience for me last night but I, it was still a very pleasant rewatch for me yeah so um yeah i think this kind of works well because personally i like when um like cartoon characters and like like they're just like involved in like legal drama I think that's like the funniest thing in the world. Like, yeah, that was um, my first note. <laughs> <laughs> I love legal drama and like studio drama and contracts. Um, but there's actually like one of my favorite things. It's actually like the most depressing thing in the world. Um, so yeah, um, 
It's sadly one of the last things that Jim Henson worked on, but there's a TV special called like Muppets Go to Disney World or something. And the ending of the special is um, like Kermit like going into like Mickey Mouse's office and like shaking hands with him. And it's like when the deal was made between like Disney and the Muppets. <laughs> and it's like very depressing, but I feel like that's like a sadder version of those. Yeah, I... I don't know, like, this is, I, it's honestly kind of mind-blowing how, like, I, I like, because I always knew it had, like, because um, we talked about on the pod before, like, it's in the Big Fat Liar and 13 Going on 30 kind of subgenre of movies we talk about on the pod, where it, uh, like, the movie takes place in an industry that we often talk about on the pod. Um, and I feel like, I, I put this in my notes, this movie is very complicit, almost, just like Big Fat Liar was for wanting to make us like go in this industry. And, <laughs> and I didn't realize that until like I was rewatching it and I'm like, yeah, like this and Big Fat Liar just make movie sets look so fun and colorful and like the best place to be. And I feel like that was very formative for us. I mean, at least for me, I can't speak for you guys, but that's that's how I feel. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of also looking at it due to the fact that Dante is obviously also he he grew up on sort of Looney Tunes proper when it was all just a bunch of shorts that would play before the features under the Warner Brothers brand. And I think about the fact that a lot of those also were very sort of reflexive and also referential to the movie industry at the time. At those times, there were like all shorts, sometimes dedicated to full-on caricatures of of stars and also just stand-ins. And I do love sort of bringing that out, of course. And also, some eh, there was like one case where uh, one of the original sort of Looney Tunes animators, Frank Tashlin, sort of completely transitioned and basically made live-action cartoons with the likes of like Jane Mansfield and Jerry and uh, Jerry Lewis in a bunch of movies. So I think his sort of understanding about how these cartoons can sort of, cartoons and live action can also coexist and also do a whole sort of, a bunch of set pieces around a sort of studio backlot is just like something he's always wanted to do and you can sort of feel the energy of that in in those uh, sequences. So I really sort of love, sort of, uh, sort of send up to Hollywood while also sort of picking at a lot of sort of things that were emerging in in the, the early two thousands filmmaking, where uh, where's the sort of um, calling out of sort of uh, product placement is very prevalent in uh, this movie. Yeah, it's um. It's really funny, too, because I feel like um, Brendan Fraser also, like, wanting to be a stuntman and not an actor is, like, very <laughs> 2000s to me for some reason. I yeah. don't know why, and I can't place it. Why. It kind of reminds me of the bit in the Revenge of the Mummy ride, but that, the like, the way um, in this movie that he plays, um, like, he ha- at the end he plays himself, but he, like, Brendan Fraser, the actor exists in this movie and the same thing with like the revenge of the mummy ride cue where they talk about like um 
uh like he's just a diva on set or whatever like that's very apparently like that's just very early 2000s canon is like him just like making fun of himself and that's in my notes like brendan fraser is kind of pitch perfect in this movie like he knows exactly what he has to do and he knows he is just playing i i, I don't say like second fiddle the looney tunes but like he knows that they're the star and he's just there to like amplify them and he does it perfectly like he he understands that bugs bunny and daffy duck are his co-stars and he does it wonderfully uh, he, his comedic timing has genuinely never been better he is fantastic in this movie yeah you definitely feel like again this sort of understanding of please understand that in this movie about this sort of dispute between whether daffy and bugs can both be stars that you also know that the humans do have to kind of defer to yeah. <laughs> to uh, these cartoons. and But yeah, I think Frazier's like perfect casting in this. Like, it also made me think of sort of George of the Jungle, where he is just, yeah, I, like, that's a film that doesn't really get enough credit. It kind of feels almost a little bit lost in sort of D- Disney 90s canon, but like, it's, it's such a ridiculous movie, and but he's like so perfect at it as far as being, being very physical, physical, but also having to exude this almost laughable, almost Johnny Bravo machismo, but also have a very sort of childlike wonder fish out of water thing. But yeah, I think he also he he's also very goofy in this, but he's also and also making fun of his whole star persona but also completely understanding he understood the assignment. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. This pod, pod, we stand Brendan Fraser. Somehow this is like the first Brendan Fraser movie that we're doing. Is it? I think, yeah, definitely it is. We haven't talked about the the mummy movies at all. No, um Adam. no, but my good friend uh Julia has been pestering me to uh like <laughs> almost weekly at this the point. People to have want her on the mummy. <laughs> yes. Want the mummy. Um great movies and I feel like even in the mummy, like I mean honestly everything he's in where he's the leading man, he just like he exudes like a lot of genuine charisma and his comedic timing is like always so on point. Like he I don't know like what other actor to compare him to. But he does like he he has like the action star persona down like where you believe he can like be in the stunts and do the big action, but he's also has like an everyman quality to him that like you feel good about like him like tell, like like going the story going through him almost you're like okay I can get behind this guy like he's, he's just not an actor yeah he's trustworthy I that's trust a great him. way to put it yeah he, exactly if he lives I, next door to yeah. me I trust him to feed my dog I or your cat and bird in this scenario because his neighbor and, uh what are their names again um i i am exposed myself as a non i i'm not a looney tunes expert are you talking about sylvester and tweety tweety and then what's is it just grandma what's her name there's granny's granny tweety, and so sylvester sylvester, right. sylvester honestly like he he kind of is low-key in this movie but yeah this right, is like the bird and the cat next door. Well, I forgot. I was like, I, I knew Tweety's name, but I couldn't remember Sylvester. And, no, it's I, I didn't okay. Know. It's okay. I'm probably gonna be like, at some points in this episode, be like, yeah, that small bitch and that big bitch. You know, come on. <laughs> um, well, 
it's just because like it, it's such an extensive catalog of characters and mm-hmm. i um i've always liked the looney tunes like but i'm not like i i'm i'm first to admit i'm not an expert or anything i'm not um it's not something that i extensively grew up with because um you know i I feel like you were kind of talking about it earlier, like around this time period. And I was only like six when this movie came out. So I was, you know, I, I was only aware of like very, very brief reruns of Looney Tunes when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of almost my introduction to the Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, like as you get older, like you, it's kind of impossible to not see them or know them in some way, shape or form. Because even um, like we talk about this on the pod often, but like even when things aren't consistent in media sometimes the ip or like the the hold on like product placement is so big and like it's something with like the simpsons we talked about it a few weeks ago like even though no one really watches new episodes you'd be hard pressed to find anyone that can't name at least five simpsons you know or like it comes back around too like my little brother he's turning 18 and he's like watched like all of the early seasons of the simpsons like it's just like yeah something like something that has like such an extensive catalog it eventually comes back around yeah yeah there's that whole uh streaming people bring up streaming especially with regards to like friends's resurgence in popularity and my sort of reaction to that is they never necessarily went away there they've yeah. been in syndication from the moment they they were in syndication even before the show ended <laughs> officially yeah. so yeah. it's sort of like you sort of have people sort of re-watching and rediscovering like older simpson seasons and just like older tv in general to me that's actually one of the best parts of tv because i feel like a lot of my interest in tv the format of tv would be in syndication yeah i well because that's like how it is with me in the simpsons it's like i grew up in a household where my mom wasn't like terribly strict about a lot of things but for some reason she did not want me to watch the simpsons when i was younger and same with me my mom for whatever reason i don't know there must have been an episode that that triggered that decision but i didn't get to watch it well well, my mom often tells me, like, she said, like, she ha- she went on, like, a, or she was dating some dude, like, in the 90s, and, like, he made her, like, watch an episode of The Simpsons, and she said, ever since that <laughs> night, like, I never wanted you to, like, watch, and I'm, like, and now I'm, like, now that I'm actually rewatch or, like, watching for the first time on Disney+, Plus, um, I think I'm, like, on season 19 or 18 right now, like, I'm pretty far into it, and it's, like, I'm really curious what episode did it for her. Like, I really <laughs> want to know. Like, what what one singular episode of The Simpsons made her go, my, and this is before I was born, too. Like, it's like, my hypothetical <laughs> son, he's never watching this show. <laughs> like, it's never happening. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it was for her. And, like, whereas with Family Guy, there was, like, a Monica Lewinsky joke, and my dad was immediately like, we're not watching this. I'm not making you watch this. <laughs> And that was like again during early Family Guy when it initially got canceled, and then and before it sort of became a cult adult swim show that then got revived. Yeah. I think I think by mistake, but whatever. That's my opinion on Family Guy. <laughs> it's funny because yeah. it's like there's always like that one tipping point, like one joke or something that it's just like you're never watching this again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you just have no idea what it is. I like, think when you're a little kid. <laughs> yeah, 
my my mom did that a lot like um even like she tried to do it with me in the x-men movies because she heard um in the third one there's a scene where mystique this shape shifter she turns into like a 10 year old girl uh-huh. and then she makes the 10 year old girl like say the word bitch and my mom saw the little 10 year old girl say bitch and she said adam you need to turn that off you can never watch x-men again and <laughs> i was like mom you can't do this to me like you can't do this i <laughs> like, think the same thing happened with spongebob for me and like somebody said like SpongeBob. moron or something and i repeated like moron <laughs> wow <laughs> i, I, I that's interesting I somehow went under the radar with my Ren and Stimpy fandom, and I know for a fact that that shit was dirty. It was dirtier than all the oh, shows yeah. we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Early, early Nick, and even like, like early two thousands Cartoon Network were like, those were like the peak of like truly like adult humor, but still children programming like cartoons, like. Um, like I like early Nick especially like Ren and Stimpy, Cat Dog had some stuff in there, like uh Rocco's Modern Life for, for sure, like a lot of stuff like that. Um but then then again, like or even like Johnny Bravo on Cartoon Network, like that was a show that was the entire conceit of that show is him hitting on women each week in the most like absurd ways. Like it's and it it's so like a- weird. And it was like a Pepe Le Pew kind of concept too, too exactly. where, where his sort of try-hardness is part of the joke. But, yeah. And it's just sort of like, but, you know, right down to sort of the absurd accent. It, yeah. Some, somehow it, it's funnier. Somehow sort of insistent sexual pestering and sexual harassment is funnier with a sort of accent. <laughs> I'm almost curious how or like if Johnny Bravo will have any kind of resurgence on the culture because um especially with here on Twitter lately in the um uh the the interest in uh quote unquote himbos and Johnny Bravo very much fits into that um fit into that mold pretty well. Uh I mean as a kid I always thought Johnny Bravo was super funny but like I obviously that was like a that's back when I was like five years old or something and I didn't understand anything he was talking about. Um, I'd be curious how it held up now because I truly, I can't tell you, like I know exactly like his catchphrases and I remember exactly how he sounds and looks and everything. But if you try to give me to describe a single episode or storyline or anything, well, I couldn't. I've never watched it, so I'll watch it all and I'll let you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you, Kira. I, how brave of you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to sort of connect back to the movie, like Larry Doyle, like he wrote for The Simpsons on a few episodes, which means he was in the writer's room in sort of the mid to late 90s, which means he was kind of in the sort of revered nowadays writer's room of The Simpsons. And like he also did The Rugrats too, though, which is also like, like those, that, like, I wouldn't say there was adult humor in the Rugrats, but there was a lot of high concepts of the yeah. Rugrats yeah. that, that definitely made it a little more intriguing to watch even years later than watching just as a sort of stupid kid show. Yeah, I was, yeah. Um, I was watching around Christmas. I watched, like, the Christmas special. Um, I don't remember which one it was. I think it was, like... I don't even remember because like I don't really have a lot of like connection to Rugrats but 
I find that like one of the funniest parts of Rugrats is just like the conversations between the parents. Yeah, it's like the parents cool. are like very funny in the in the Rugrats and um, <laughs> like yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like at, like as an adult, it's it's funny to to see. I. I uh, recently on Twitter, it was funny. Like there was a a screenshot of like um, Phil and Lil's mom from the original, and then from the reboot. And mm. they were like, "Can you believe they made their mom gay?" And then this like the sub or like the ret- quote retreat was like, "Did you see the original show?" Like, <laughs> because, like, like she totally was gay in the original, and like, I, it's weird like the Rugrats because like it doesn't seem like it would be something. Um, that I would have had nostalgia for because it feels like a little bit earlier than my time. But for some reason, I had like the VHS of the Rugrats movie when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I saw Rugrats in Paris in theaters, I remember. It was like one of the first movies I ever saw in theaters. And I also saw Rugrats Go Wild. Is that what it's called? The Wild the, Thorn Theory? The, the, the crossover. I watched yeah. the first two movies. I've actually not seen that one. I, I saw that one in theaters and I remember there was a promotion with Burger King with it where you, if you got a happy meal or whatever they call it, like a kid's meal or whatever at Burger King, they like, um, they gave you a scratch and sniff card for to have during the movie. So whenever the number went on screen, you got to scratch and sniff and smell the scene. Oh my God, it's Odorama. It's just like John Waters is probably yes. <laughs> 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 yeah i think oh man i remember now like burger king always had the nickelodeon related stuff and i think oh, I, I think mcdonald's might have had disney so yeah the, uh, yeah, lines, I feel like... the, lines, the lines were drawn <laughs> i feel yeah. like fast food kids toys peaked when um burger king did that promotion where they had like a hundred different spongebob toys i was just gonna bring that up <laughs> yeah. like the different yeah. like statues and like the artists and stuff. yeah 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 i remember i had brilliant. one and i was like because i want to be an artist <laughs> <laughs> because i want to be an artist <laughs> my mom still has like the special like mcdonald's like disney stuff like peter pan like plastic sort of glasses mm-hmm. glasses like Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King. She still has those. They're not in great condition or anything, so she she just uses them. <laughs> I think the yeah. peak is like the Disney Parks like glasses. I have, I have two those. of them. Have, yeah, yeah, I think like everybody just like has them like in their house. Like I don't remember getting them. They just kind of like appear. <laughs> but I like I have Animal Kingdom and I have MGM. Um, and every time I go into this one vintage store, like they have them for like 10 bucks and I'm like, I need to complete the collection, but I never do. (laughs) I think I only have Epcot. I think I have Epcot. Yeah. I have Epcot and I have, um, those Shrek three glasses that have been recalled because of like um, poisoning or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we have not drank. He drinks milk out of (laughs) No, it's because my mom has like a China cabinet and it's so funny that my, I'm like it's like a bunch of like fine china that has been passed on from generations and then also Shrek 3 classes. Like the recalled Shrek 3 classes. Well, it's from the third movie, I'm pretty sure. Um so yeah, you know, when guests come over, she's like, "Okay, honey, let's bring out the Shrek 3 classes for the guests." <laughs> uh a special occasion, bring out the recalled Shrek 3 cup. <laughs> 
okay. Yeah, it's, um, I was thinking, like, before, <laughs> when, um, when, Caden, when you brought up Pepe Le Pew in reference to um, Johnny Bravo, so um, I'm not going to talk about Max Landis almost making a Pepe Le Pew movie. What oh I'm going God. to... <laughs> What I'm going to say. That almost felt like an April Fool's joke. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little too, um, yeah. But what I'm going to bring up is the fact that my aunt, when I was a child, my entire childhood had a Pepe Le Pew themed living room, and I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Of all things, of all characters. Yeah, yeah. Was she she like a spinster? No, 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 just. Yeah, she was just um, vibing. She had, like, posters up on the wall. Like, she had, like, a black couch. Like, she had, like, a gray carpet. Like, kind of whitish walls. And then she had, like, um, like plushes of him, like, sitting on the couch. She had, like, a little cabinet in the corner where she had, like, all these collectibles and stuff. And I had no idea, like, anything. Like, I don't know why it happened. But then, like, I went back to her house as a teenager. And it was just a regular, like, like... HGTV style living room. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I had an aunt who was obsessed with Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, but yeah. um, me personally, like, I can't really, I can't really judge anyone's sort of favorite Looney Tunes character because for a while, my favorite was Speedy for a very, uh, um, a very long time until he kind of had the sort of uh, blackout where his his shorts were no longer on the block although he like makes an appearance here and it's just like there like it's whatever yeah 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 i feel like most cartoon characters it's less about like the character itself it's just whoever's writing it and that should be more like mm-hmm. the discourse if that makes sense because like I, yeah. don't, I mean, not to be like an ex- I'm not saying I'm an expert in like the extensive yeah. history of Pepe Le Pew or anything, but, but uh, I think we can all agree that Max Landis should not be making this yeah. movie or any um, movie. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say let's go for any movie. Let's let's go for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wide in the scale, no movie at all. Yeah, I think I like Speedy because he was like Roadrunner with a personality. It was basically he was he was fast, but he could also talk. Route Roadrunner always just felt like just felt like a metaphor <laughs> and more of somebody who was just sort of the foil to Wiley Coyote's existential angst of yeah. which I now relate to more <laughs> as they I were like they were like my favorites as a kid I don't know why um but I wrote a note during the scene when Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote were there saying that that's basically this podcast And, um, (laughs) like, the casting of it depends on what movie we're covering that night or what mood we're in. Um, So for, I think, all of Twilight Month, if we can... um, Yeah, I guess we're revealing that. Oh, wait, shit. Oh, wait, sorry, I forgot. You can cut that. (laughs) Never mind. Um, (laughs) But... Anytime there's a Fast and Furious movie on the pod, it's definitely a little bit reversed there. Yeah, I'm Wiley Coyote during that, and you're you're Roadrunner. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I found it funny how that scene is like really important in the movie in the terms of like basically confirming that Acme is just like predicting Amazon in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. No, literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 
Steve Martin as uh, Jeff Bezos's galaxy brain casting. <laughs> Jeff, I mean, uh, Jeff Bezos. Steve Martin <laughs> in this movie um, is he's he's going for it entirely, and it, it it's amazing. It, it's really quite great what he's doing because that's what you need in a. It's like almost um, equivalent to like what you need when you're a villain in a Muppet movie. Like you have to just go for it, and Steve Martin, he fucking goes for it. Like he goes all the way. Like, and it's great because like Steve Martin is like I would argue, maybe top five comedic performers of all time. Like he, mm-hmm. he, his comedic timing, his screen presence, his everything, and every single thing that he's in is always dynamite. And but yeah, that being said, this is so wildly different than anything he's ever mm-hmm. done before. Um, I mean, I can't think of anything quite like this, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe his SNL appearances, there might be a sort of character right. with that type of level of of being that high, <laughs> that yeah. high in terms of performing. But yeah, like I was actually talking about this with a friend who was kind of like, it, it's kind of a weird performance to sort of see him. And it's like, yeah, it is almost more like he's playing a role that would have been offered to Martin Short and played by Martin Short. Yes. Yeah. But, and, you know, at that, but also at that point, like Steve Martin had sort of found a sort of, a sort of career of sort of being more of the family patriarch in a family movie. And in some cases, even more of the straight man, comedically speaking, in some of those movies. Yeah. And he was good in those movies. Like, he's great in those Father of the Bride movies. Which I was going to say, like, ever since that movie, I think that's when it started happening. Yeah. It's sort of like, yeah, uh, play off of Martin Short playing the one who was basically playing somebody completely outrageous. Yeah. But, 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 you know, like, his sort of heyday in the 70s and 80s and those carl reiner movies like the jerk he is sort of playing a sort of very exaggerated sort of character that is almost so absurd absurd but he is playing it also at the same point completely straight and i think that's one of his great gifts is sort of somehow finding balance in both the absurdity but also coming off like completely sort of normal (laughs) normal yeah can I well, make I mean, that... a controversial statement really quick? Oh, you don't like... <laughs> I have to bring him up once every yeah. episode. He saw Dr. Evil and he said, yeah, you're right, let me try. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay, Adam, what were you going to say? I, I feel like to say that is to like... <laughs> <laughs> say that this isn't like its own performance like it's not I mean, real no i just i had to fill my quota of bringing up okay right yeah I her mean, daily he, quota yeah um, well maybe to sort of bring it back to who framed roger rabbit the kind of sort of christopher lloyd kind of performance <laughs> although that, that yeah the, the whole point in the christopher lloyd is you don't realize just how insane he how insane he is you just know he's up to no good but you don't realize how out there the character is but this this character is almost playing sort of a live action version of a lot of the sort of warner brothers sort of villains so i sort of that 
also, because I have to imagine Steve Martin also loved the Looney Tunes growing up. Yeah, I and it's almost like one of those things, like I, I, I mentioned earlier, like when I related to the Muppets, where it's like the Muppets, Looney Tunes, like all these things are like such cultural landmarks to people that it's kind of, you'll be hard pressed to find someone in the industry, especially that's like a, a performer who has not been affected by these like characters in some way, shape or form. So it must be like really easy for any, I mean, I don't want to say easy, but it must be like a no brainer at least to sign on for a movie like this, where you can like, you get to do that and you get to go all the way with your performance. And, and like, if it fails, you can just say like, Oh, I was going absurdist. Like there's no shame <laughs> in it. Like you can just do anything you want. Really. Listen, but, that's me waking up every morning. Yeah. That's you like if telling I fail, yourself. Yeah. If I yeah. fail at the end of the day, I say it was an absurdist performance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I tell myself before going to work every day. Literally. Like, it was an absurdist performance. Speaking, yeah. of, uh, speaking of signing on to a movie, um, the entire time I was watching this, I was trying to figure out Jenna Elfman's deal, and I still can't figure it out. And then I was reading through her Wikipedia page, her and I found out she's a Scientologist. I w- okay. Uh. <laughs> so I was going to bring this up, because I'm like, I think her whole career and explanation could be Church of Scientology. Yes. Because I was thinking, like... Judy Greer, Leslie Mann, I, I can imagine those two in that role mm-hmm. and still either have the same sort of impact or maybe even better because we know Leslie Mann plays well off of Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's just like so early 2000s that it's just like, why is this person here? Oh, Scientology. Yeah, no yeah. idea who she is, where she came from. Literally, I was like, is it just, like, me, like, not connecting names to faces? Because I'm, like, bad with, like, actors' names. And then I was, like, scrolling through her Wikipedia page, and I was like, I have no idea. And I don't think anyone else knows who she is either. <laughs> like, Yeah, Dharma, I, yeah. Was around, I, was a, I was at least cognizant of the existence of that show, Dharma and Greg. But, mm-hmm. you know, that show kind of went... Like, no, it's not an indication. No one really talks about it. So it's just, like, you had your you had your fun, <laughs> Jenna. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at her resume right now, and I, I've seen a few things here and there, but only, but she, like, there. She's only been in, like a, like, a few episodes of, like, a TV show. Like, she'll have, like, a three-episode run on, like, a big TV show and then just, like, disappear. Yeah, and I'm also saying, like, even some movies here and there. Like, I've seen a few movies here and there that she's been in, but, like, not enough to ever, like, even remember her face. Like, I, like, I, yeah, no, I can't, I can't tell you. Like, this is such a weird filmography that it's weird that she's still working in 2021 today. Yeah. I feel like she also has that face that's, like, very 2000s, where it's, like, you expect to see them in every movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I always forget their name, but, like, the lady that is always playing a principal in the movies that we watch, or, like, a boss, <laughs> I forget uh-huh. her name. You know what I'm talking about. Are you talking was about the... Joan Cusack? No, 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 who's also Joan... Joan Cusack, who's also in this movie, and also probably would have been better in that role. The moment I yeah. saw her, it's like, man, yeah. switch, switch, switch the parts. I, exactly. I would have. Yeah. One, wait, are we talking about the friend that we had on Zoom, Miss Amy Hill? No, not Amy Hill. We love Amy Hill, but 
Okay. Amy Amy Hill, we know her name. <laughs> um one thing I want to say though about um this character um is I don't think she has a great performance or anything. She's definitely just there. She's just there. But one thing I did kind of like about the character is how it presents like when like people are put into a position of power in an industry, very rarely do they actually care about whatever it is they're overseeing. Like it's all about like corporate interest. And like it's so funny that like she's put in the position of like the comedy division when like she has like no sense of humor. She's so dry, none of her jokes land. Like I actually think that's somewhat realistic. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna take the movie's word for it and say it was an artistic choice to give a bad performer this role. Yeah. Like it was it was an artistic choice. I love feeling that way about movies. I think that every bad performance is an artistic choice. I think that's the optimism (laughs) that I'm hoping to go through life with. Yeah, me and the Wabam boys were talking about um, Tenet somewhat recently, and we were saying, like, um, we were talking about, like, how it's, like, okay, it's just fun, and it's it's okay to make Christopher Nolan feel like he's smart for doing things, as long as we're having fun. So, like, if he gets to feel smart and I get to have fun, it's a win-win street, you know? <laughs> like, it's okay to just, like, let people believe things. It's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Going back to the whole issue of the whole idea of that character running the comedy division at Warner Brothers, and it's just, and but yeah, you just sort of bring up people who are now in sort of the co- the corporate roles over something they have no investment in, no emotional stakes in, no expertise in even, and it's just like oh yeah, thinking back to uh, Amazon buying the whole MGM archive. Um, mm-hmm. And MGM Studios, yeah, I'm kind of thinking that. I'm also thinking about uh, Warner Brothers now, and kind of getting nervous about what's going to happen to the future of a bunch of entities they have. Like, not even just like, not even just like Warner Brothers Animation or Looney Tunes, but just like so many. They have so many fingers and fingers and uh, hold and holds over a lot of sort of culture and I do get nervous because I'm not necessarily sure the people who are running movies even like movies today. Yeah. 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 That's the whole well, uh that's the whole thesis statement of the film industry right now. Like, that's <laughs> how I feel about like movies. Well, that's how I felt and I, I don't want to sound like the very um ah, how do I put this? Like so like I feel like a bunch of people that like bring up this argument are people that feel a certain way and I don't feel this way but I kind of think it comes of like Kathleen Kennedy in Star Wars like I like most of the Disney Star Wars movies I do and I've been out there and saying I everyone who knows me knows I think The Last Jedi is a perfect movie Mm -hmm. Uh, so I want to clarify on that before I say this but anytime you see or hear her speak about Star Wars, you get you you understand so clearly that she could not give any less of a shit about what she's producing. But like at the same time, though, she's a brilliant business person. Like she understands marketing and like film production perfectly. That it she fits the role. So I think there's like a double-edged sword to it. Where like yes, I would prefer to have like a Dave Filoni or like a person like that like in charge where they understand the business and also care about what they're doing. But I think Kathleen Kennedy is kind of like that perfect, like example of like very much like just throwing, like it's all about like headlines and like 
throwing like bones out to the media and like it's not about like producing consistent movies or like consistent quality movies it's just like one movie at a time and sometimes it doesn't work we're just gonna really quick take a break for a word from some of our sponsors thanks guys hey friends Do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? Of course you do. That's why you listen to this podcast. It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, Zillennial Canon Award winner, I'll add that, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies By Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. As a special gift to you, because we love you and appreciate you, listeners can save 10% on their next order with code SUPERZILLENNIAL in all caps with no spaces at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Thank you so much, Super Yaki, for sponsoring this episode. Let's watch more movies, guys. Especially with, like, the whole um, corporate interest in movies and stuff, it's um, definitely, like, I feel like all of us had our, like, I mean, like, I don't know, like, speaking for myself, and I know about Adam, too, like, our specific, like, series that are now considered, like, franchise and IP, um, like I feel like for me it was Indiana Jones and I'm like constantly mourning every single day the fact that Spielberg isn't doing it the the next one due to creative um, creative differences and that's really um, yeah the whole Disney of it all um, but I know Adam for like Marvel and like Star Wars and stuff and I mean you're pretty happy with life wait what <laughs> I said I'm, you with uh, Marvel and Star Wars, but you're pretty happy with life and how it's turning out for you. I, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I was talking about it at work with um, this guy who just started the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him, I'm like, because I have like, um, at work, I have a lanyard, but it's a Star Wars lanyard. Mm-hmm. He's like, you, oh, he's like, oh, you have a lanyard. It must be like a, you must be a pretty big Star Wars fan, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. He said, are you excited for, like, the Boba Fett show? And I'm like, no. And he's like... (laughs) (laughs) And, like, and I'm not saying I'm not going to watch it. I'm probably going to stay up till 3 a.m. to watch it, whatever night it drops. But, like, I, at the moment, do not care. Like, I've exceeded the point of hyping things up now. And now it's getting to the point where, like, things will drop and I will watch them and I will feel however I feel when I watch them. And yeah. if, I'm, if I'm emotionally moved by something and it reminds me why I love a specific franchise, Pog, you know? Like, great. <laughs> but, like, if if it um, just disappoints me, I'll be like, yeah, okay, I have the other things. I um, feel like this can tie into the whole Space Jam sequel um, trailer. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was scary. That was bleak. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was basically IP vomiting all over yeah. the screen. Um, and not even looking like at least fascinating in a way, like the way I'm not sure how either of you feel about Spielberg's Ready Player One, but I thought he at least made things a little interesting and was coming from a very sort of strange place in relationship with sort of being the mad scientist that let the monster out. Yeah. Into, out into uh, the world. And he's now yeah. almost sort of facing the fact that every sort of piece of IP content or whatever you want to call it, it has just sort of been recycled and upcycled in many ways. Um, yeah. I also, I also am thinking about the fact, when, going back to my relationship to the Warner Brothers store at malls, I just like remember how like Batman was kind of there because it was all under WB and you had the animated series at the time, but like those Schumacher movies because it, cause obviously my my sort of reference point point wasn't so much the Burton movies, although I definitely do have memories of Batman Returns, but like the Schumacher movies were su- such an afterthought. Like they were considered so goofy and so passe, passe. Like the animated series was definitely preferred by Batman fans and they were kind of all there, but they always sort of felt like they were in sort of like the corner, the corner and sort of end tables for people to buy while everyone was more invested in like uh, Looney, Bugs Bunny, and even Tommy Jerry more so than Batman. Yeah. So I can think back to that of sort of like, wow, that was like a wild time to think. And now like, obviously, Warner Brothers is all about Batman, Superman, Harry Potter, Wonder Woman, and all that. Yeah, and it, it is weird, like, um, you know, when you said, like, the new Space Jam trailer is kind of bleak, like, that. that's kind of the perfect word that I'd put for it, because it's, like, because, like, the conceit of a Space Jam 2 excited me, not because I have, like, any general affinity for the original Space Jam. I have some nostalgia for the first one, to the extent of, like, I saw it when I was a child and I liked it and I laughed and I watched it a few times and I think uh, Bill Murray is fucking amazing in that movie. Um, but like, and yeah, like just the conceit of another Space Jam movie in 2021 excited me to a certain extent. But then it's so funny, like the second the trailer started, I was like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing. Like, it's yeah. it's really weird. And I, I hope I'm wrong and the movie is not exactly this but it's like the looney tunes can't even be the stars of a looney tunes movie anymore like it's mm-hmm. and that's what i think this movie gets right is that it does have them as the star the stars and like they are like the forefront of like everything going on and it's all somewhat revolving around them and even when it's not they are still a central piece in it and space jam 2 just kind of looks like it's i it's just Ready Player One, but, like, maybe the Looney Tunes are as prevalent as, like, Amelia Cook or whatever her name is, and, like, uh, 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 like whoever else is in Ready Player One. I'm giving... I, I, I'm just gonna know, give up on the guest. I need to know if Nicole Kidman from Eyes Wide Shut is in this movie. Otherwise, <laughs> I will lose my goddamn mind if she's not. Well, there was, like, a Clockwork Orange sort of image. I was just gonna say that. Exactly. I'm like, is, isn't this supposed to be pitched to kids? In a way, yeah. 
because they like shoehorned him having a fake son and it's bizarre because like also like it's kind of weird to think about trying to fictionalize lebron james without this sort of knowing the fact that he's come in the social media age where he's come heavily leaned into being the father of like Mm -hmm. kids who are interested in basketball and other things and then we're just going to fictionalize him having a wife and kids. I yeah. don't I don't quite get that, even though the first Space Jam technically was that in a way. But yeah. I was also sort of disappointed because initially that project was announced with Terrence Nance, who's like a really mm-hmm. talented experimental filmmaker, and I just would have been very interested to see how like a person of color would also deal with the Looney Tunes but also the fact is that he also has um he also has a relationship to doing animation himself and also doing experimental things I would have been fascinated to see that but you know he left over creative differences yeah allegedly allegedly involving Pepe Le Pew I don't quite really well I think they were trying to work with the fact of, and this might actually be separate, but I think his, his Peppy was supposed to appear in Space Jam, where he's basically called out for being for kind of being up in that cat's face and not giving her consent, <laughs> and it just was sort of like, yeah, they're not, they can't really include this, because it's going to be weird, but I'm not really sure if that was Terrence Nance's call, or where he actually stood on everything, but he's kind of left under creative differences, and he probably is under an NDA, so we'll probably not know the truth for a while, as far as why he couldn't uh, be a part of this, yeah. Yeah, that's why I was initially, like, kind of excited for it, because, like, I don't really have, like, a strong relationship to Space Jam. Like, I only really saw it, like, a few years ago. Um, And, I like, I've never seen his work, but, like, I knew that he was, like, a really interesting animator. So I was like, okay, cool, like, they're actually doing something. But, of course, like, it didn't work out, because, like, whenever an interesting director is announced for something like this, it never works out. Um, But... Yeah, one thing that, like, I do like a lot that I feel like is, I guess because it's not, like, it's, like, referential in, like, ways that makes sense to me, Um, but, like, the Lego movies, I love how those exist within, like, the WB, like, properties because it's, like, like, I, I love, like, building Legos and stuff, and it's, like, those Lego sets actually exist in real life, so, like, it would make sense. Like, it doesn't feel like, to me, they're, like, referencing the movies or, like, their own IP. Like, it, it just feels like the, like, like, the Lego sets exist. <laughs> like, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, like, no, you're yeah. right. Yeah, because yeah. it's, like, it's not like they're bringing, like, oh, it's Batman. No, it's Lego Batman. Yeah, like, it's, it's different. It's, it's its own character, like, um, yeah. Like, they're clearly not trying to promote, like, another thing. Like, it's just its own character that happens to be a Lego. Like, that's why the Lego Batman movie works so well, because it's not connected to the Lego movie. It's its own movie. Like, it has no relation to the Lego movie, even though it is a spinoff. Like, it's fantastic. 
like and it, it makes me sad that warner brothers doesn't own lego anymore or not yeah. own but like uh Make i mean i'm sure universal yeah. will do a decent job or will, mm. hopefully they do but yeah. i mean i don't i don't i don't know i'm not gonna well it's, other plans, it's but. interesting because um back in action was like the like that's basically what like killed their animation division and they didn't make another animated movie until the lego movie is that true yeah yeah it was it didn't it didn't even make back its budget and 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 like imagine the fact that the reported budget was still probably a lot higher <laughs> than a lot higher in reality and yeah i know like the larry doyle the screenwriter was doing some shorts uh for the early animated division two, so he was also sort of familiar with the Looney Tunes, but yeah, it basically killed it, sadly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, reading further into it too, like Joe Dante said that he had like no creative control over this movie. Um, and he did not like what they did with Space Jam. Like he said that like it didn't make sense what they were doing with the characters. And um, he, yeah, he said that there were, like, 25 different writers, like, at some points, like, trying to come up with, like, little, like, gags and stuff, like, after it was already animated. So they, like, couldn't, like, because they were, like, animating, like, to the voice work and, like, back and forth. So, like, it wasn't working. And he said that it was, I quote, not fun. (laughs) That's all he said in an interview with the Chicago Reader. He said, not fun. Yeah, it's kind of a shame because I also think even even though it wasn't, it's it's a shame because it probably wasn't fun for him, of course, because I'm sure there were a bunch of higher ups who like to believe that they knew Looney Tunes better than probably he did. But I also think at the same time, this is still a pretty good movie and I still do feel like it does have his kind of his kind of sort of pizzazz and sort of relationship uh, relationship to growing up with Looney Tunes and sort of the conceptions of Hollywood because still there's this is sort of a backlot movie like yeah to me to me this is like uh, this is no different than like a old Hollywood movie about the backlot like Manelli's Two Weeks in Another Town or Town or something like that like because you do feel like this is this is made by people who understand and grew up in the movie industry and also like there's like appearances by dick miller and roger corman and i think that's cool that's 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 joe dante's version of having like bill murray and charles barkley appear yeah 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 and it's it's interesting because like it's like or i'd say fascinating to like find those movies where like you could call, like I call them good movies, like even though like a director disowns them, but like we still find them good. Like it's yeah. really interesting, and it's like where like is that disconnect like important or does it actually like not matter? Like when the creator, like whoever made it, uh, disowns it, but you still enjoy it, or does it really not matter when there's so many cooks in the kitchen? Like does it really not mean anything whatsoever? Um, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Like that's how I feel like with that um that Han Solo movie that came out a few years ago. Like I quite like that movie, but I still like admit <laughs> that like 
um <laughs> everything with like the lord and chris miller that happened on that set like i mean i obviously wasn't there or anything but like um it's very prevalent that like it was really fucked up what disney did um and especially like rise of skywalker like the back-to-back of that was like okay they clearly don't like creativity after last jedi so but i still like solo so like i'm always torn i'm like i like that movie but i hate what they did to the people who made a majority of it um or even like edgar wright with ant-man i love the first ant-man movie but Mm -hmm. they kind of fucked over edgar wright it's it's always a weird disconnect and it's interesting to have these like kind of like movies that fall into that like subgenre almost yeah yeah, I mean, especially, like, um, people who have, like, been on something for so long or people who have, like, created something, like, like, yeah, like, Joe Dante stayed on this project the whole time, but he, like, didn't have a great time doing it afterwards. Um, but, like I said before, like, Spielberg leaving Indiana Jones and, like, George Lucas leaving Star Wars, it's, like, it's weird when other things take over and, yeah... I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of curious about Indiana Jones because I like everything that like is shaping up for it right now. I think is kind of interesting. Like I like the cast. I like the director. It's I like the idea of like a. I think it's taking place in the seventies or eighties this time, um, which is interesting. Yeah, but it is pretty like upsetting. I get. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, there's a part of yeah. me that's kind of okay with no Spielberg. Like, Listen, I'm, we're getting that cool movie about, like, his uncle or whatever the fuck he's doing. So is it I'll Rogan playing his uncle or something? Something like that, yeah. That's yeah. cool. I like but, that. Yeah. Spiel, um, yeah. Spielberg, I'll, I'm, I'm with him till the end. But, yeah. Um, I, I like him, It's but I also don't think, like, it's entirely... It's weird, because, like, I'm fine with someone else doing an Indiana Jones movie. But there's another part of me where it's like, but it's also the last one. And it would have been cool to see Spielberg just, like, have his, like, run with Harrison, you know? Speaking of Spielberg, um, so the musical number in this movie, in Back in Action, when I was a kid, because I'd never seen Roger Rabbit, I was like, is this allowed? Like, the (laughs) (laughs) the musical number in the casino? And I feel like it's a little bit, like it feels a little bit more explicit than Jessica Rabbit for some reason. I think because she's human, which is, like, weird to me. Like, and then, like, the tiny, like, (laughs) the tiny Yosemite Sam's, like, dancing around her. Like, I just can't wrap my mind around that musical number. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, that's just on my mind. Um, Just connecting that to Roger Rabbit. because it's also like I was taking like a noir class around the time that like I rewatched like I went to go see Roger Rabbit in a drive-in like a few weeks ago and I was like aggressively angry that like which like I watched like great movies in my noir class but I was like really annoyed that like we didn't watch anything that wasn't like a traditional noir and I kept being like can we watch Roger Rabbit can we watch Roger Rabbit and then like during like watching Roger Rabbit I was like oh this is like a perfect like noir movie like especially like during like the musical number and um then like this I feel like because it's almost in like a family comedy it's like extremely jarring 
Mm. Um, and yeah, the entire time I'm just like, is this allowed? <laughs> but yeah. I like that they go to Vegas. I think um, that's like a perfect setting for like cartoons, I think. I would have loved to have actually gone to a Yosemite Sam themed casino. Yeah. Like, I yeah. really wish in a different universe this movie was a success. So that could spur the uh, Yosemite Sam casino because I would have gone to Las Vegas finally to yeah. have a visit on that. Yeah, the that entire sequence is like, it, it's looked practical. I don't know if it is, but like, like the, the front of the building yeah, yeah well like but like the actually like yosemite sam like sign or like the like the big like light up i don't know if i was just like mm-hmm. the shitty laptop i was watching on but it looks <laughs> real maybe i'm just it blind looked, it, it looked real on my tv so okay yeah. so i'm yeah. not crazy yeah because like, i don't know if Kira was like giving me the look of like adam it's cgi what are you talking no, about no 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 like, <laughs> no it's 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 really cool the production yeah. design in this is like amazing and yeah. um I think another thing too, like him owning a casino is like, I feel like, like thinking back to what, like all the conversations that we had about um, like trying to get IP into something and like, just trying to like reference all your IP is like, I love how this movie does it in that, like literally like the characters are just all like existing, doing their own things. And they just like happen to be like walking past them while they're just like doing their normal everyday thing or like doing their job. Like, like the fact that Pepe Le Pew is like a, like concierge guy and they just like walk past <laughs> him at one point. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah, I like that about it because it's not, like overtly like and I think that's I I kind of like that about Roger Rabbit too is that like yeah Mickey is in that movie but n- nobody really cares about him <laughs> like well you, like, have that, you have that crazy moment where Mickey and Bugs Bunny are sharing the same screen but it's just like that's not even like the that's not even the centerpiece like exactly. that like that completely unprecedented crossover the crossover yeah. event uh <laughs> uh happens yeah for a few seconds yeah when i was yeah. watching it a few weeks ago sean just like leaned over to me and was just like this would never happen now <laughs> and i'm like i what? know I... talk about mad scientists i think robert zemeckis has multiple times been the mad scientist who has let the monster out of the house and yeah he sometimes has had no idea what his potential impact is because like he's such he's such a weirdo because i'm starting to think he has that george lucas problem of i don't think he wants to necessarily work with actors anymore so he would very much like to computer generate them but he's also at the same time very earnest like I like I don't know how like Welcome to Marwin is just the weirdest movie because it's done with such earnestness and I can't but it's completely insane yeah (laughs) because it's trying to explore a man who unfortunately got brain damage like Marwin calls also a great documentary to recommend sort of how art is healing but it's just so because you don't feel like him and the actors are necessarily communicating or in the same sort of universe, but he's, but as long as he has the sort of CGI sequences, he's fine and good. Well, it's, 
I think that technology is the disconnect between like Zemeckis and like a quote unquote good movie. Because like <laughs> I think the last Zemeckis movie, I could be totally wrong about this, but the last one that I think I liked was Flight with Denzel back in twenty twelve. And I liked that movie because it was so stripped of like other than that like that big plane sequence at the beginning. Um, it was pretty much stripped of like any like spectacle. It was just like a drama about alcoholism and Denzel and John Goodman and uh, Don Cheadle. They all give like really great performances in that movie. And it made me realize like, damn, like Zemeckis is like really good at just character drama when he wants to do it. Like when he actually cares about a story (laughs) and the characters and performances, he nails it completely. But you're right, like, when he gets his hands on, like, movies like Marwin or even uh, the Christmas Carol movie that he did a few or, like, over 10 years ago at this point, uh, or Polar Express, which we covered on the pod, which yeah. is uh, nightmare fuel. Like, it's, 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 it is uncanny valley scary. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it really is. And I didn't realize that until we covered it on the pod again, because, like, I have pleasant memories of that movie as a kid, but, like watching it in your 20s you're just kind of like oh it's not it's not what i remember it it's it's way creepier (laughs) so yeah i'd be curious to revisit some of them yeah and like i'm i'm done with all the sort of amblin entertainment guys and stuff because they all kind of sort of had this sort of same ideas and reference points of trying to shift into all these sort of different genres and stuff, but still, you know, a lot of a sense of adventure. But Zemeckis is, it's such a crazy career that he has yeah. had. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, Joe Dante has pretty much done the Joe Dante things. I don't, I would be curious to see what is his, what was his passion project, because I always felt like he was still, his even his big movies still, still felt within reason uh, a lot of the time, whereas, like, you just look at Zemeckis and it's like, how many runaway budgets are is the industry going to let him do anymore? And it's just like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what, um, I feel like that's, because you brought it up earlier with um, uh, Gremlins 2, like, that's such almost like a um, cult classic at this point. Mm-hmm. and that almost feels like a passion project and just how wacky it is like he got and the first movie is fantastic i it's absolutely one of it's probably like in my top 50 of all time like it's one of my favorite movies i know like every line to it entirely i think it's brilliant um but like gremlins 2 is almost like okay you had the commercial success now you can do whatever you want with the sequel <laughs> and he goes for it like it, it's really quite a wacky movie and it doesn't even it barely feels like a gremlin sequel at points, which is what I like about it. It just feels like he just was like, Oh, I have a budget and I can do whatever I want bet. Like, okay. Gremlins (laughs) talk now like gremlin. Like, like it's just (laughs) like, it's, it's such a nasty, weird little movie, but I, I have love for it. It's, it's really cool. And I, um, yeah, I, I, it makes me miss that kind of like era of filmmaking where people and directors get away with it. You wish directors could make something like Gremlins too. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> check, okay. Here's yeah. What you do. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know if you couldn't even get like half of what like Gremlins 2 accomplished today. Cause like, 
and it's like not i'm not even saying like that's a terrible thing or a great thing it's just kind of like a it's weird like there's definitely pretty terrible that like something like that just can't exist whether it be good or bad i guess like yeah it's just it it's interesting that like nothing is ever that and i'm looking at joe dante's like imdb right now and it's kind of sad he's sadly like it's kind that's what i was kind of saying it makes me sad because i think this is his last good movie like he's mostly been in he tried to do a 3D, 3D movie called, I, I believe, The Hole, but, like, that barely played anywhere, and I tried to find it for a while in, like, the, like, 10 years ago, but he's mostly been doing network TV, and I'm glad he's still working to sort of pay the bills and stuff, but it's, like, a shame to me uh, that he isn't really doing anything more actively in feature filmmaking. Like, he has podcasts, and, like, he has uh, trailers from hell, but it's still, it's kind of weird for him to still be both a working director, but almost like this Professor Emeritus of a certain type of filmmaking. Like, you know, like, Edgar Wright worships him, and a lot of other sort of current sort of genre directors do, but it's... It's something something that intangible as its as its currency when you know this guy has made so many good movies. It's still kind of sad because he's not really. I I I have to believe he still wants to make a feature movie. Yeah, I mean, I I'd be very surprised if he didn't. Like, I mean, I granted I haven't seen any like interviews or read anything from him where he said he hasn't. But like, I can't imagine that there's not a side to him that isn't like a little bit eager. And I wouldn't be surprised if he got like some kind of project in the coming years like it, it kind of seems like i mean we do talk about like how gremlins 2 can't exist nowadays like you can't really make that movie and that's true but there are i don't know there are like studios and like people that want to give filmmakers a chance to like well, at least do sort of things within a sort of limitation and that is sad but i think it would also maybe give him an opportunity to like creatively playing a sandbox of limitations and like really like work like a low budget feel and i think that could be cool like if they gave him a chance to like just do something i mean i think i think if like coming back around to space jam too is like um i think if anything like that were to be made now it would have to be banking on people's nostalgia because, like, that's the only way that they can, like, really, like, guarantee to make money now, which, like, they saw was a failure in this movie. With Space Jam um, 2? Well, like, like, Space Jam, like, obviously it was, like, <laughs> the, like, the thing how, like, Friends is now, where it's, like, just go to Target and pick up, like, five different Space Jam t-shirts, where they're just, like, licensing out, like, banking on nostalgia and stuff like that, like... it's. Um, it's almost weird, though, because, like, I don't feel like the... I know that's not exactly what you're saying, like, the the um the the merchandising is definitely going to that category but the movie doesn't even look like it's catering to that well, at all just like, the idea of space jam i guess but i like i mean like um i feel like any like there were there will never be like new like ip like quote unquote like it's just going to be like bringing back something old so that they can make money yeah, I think the new IP is going to be something that was original and was a success by accident kind of yeah. thing. Right? Yeah. 
and that because you know that's the story of like a lot of franchise movies like nobody really put a lot of faith in it nobody believed that the halloween movies were going to be a franchise that is still going necessarily yeah, yeah it's it, it's yeah it's just like as far as dante like i wonder if any of the horror franchises have sort of ever called a filmmaker like him or somebody or somebody else of his caliber who isn't really working like like i can remember for a while ryan de palma was rumored for to do a paranormal activity movie really? and, which i'm not even a big brian de palma fan but that would have been interesting to sort of see him yeah. work within those confines and then sort of again sort of kind of be almost like a test to sort of see if 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 he can bend a franchise movie more to his style or how he can readapt his own style into something that is very much about sort of surveillance and cameras i would have been curious about that but that was like an old rumor from like 10 years ago and no one watches the paranormal activity yeah beyond watching it for halloween but yeah <sighs> the movie industry is so sad <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you cover a movie about uh corporate interest in creative control and that's just where that's just where it goes we just live yeah. it every day <laughs> being film fans yeah uh, and it's kind of wild to think that this movie as far as behind the scenes people like again it was probably a mess in terms of direction and script writing because of how much execs like to think they're smarter than the people they hired but it was really cool to see that this was like the last movie jerry goldsmith scored who's like Mm -hmm. a legendary composer in his own right who's worked with like a lot of people and you also had dean cundy who has worked with so many great directors, even some who have been on Zillennial Canon. I believe he's direct. He's shot for Nancy Myers, but he's also shot for Spielberg a bunch of times too. So it's like you have like caliber industry people who aren't phoning it in at all. Like that Gary Goldsmith score is pretty good, and mm-hmm. like while there are are obviously like. Like, this isn't, like, a one perfect shot, the movie, but it's still (laughs) very sort of visually accomplished and basically does its job as sort of getting the gags, having a lot of sort of kineticism as far as the sequences go. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I was going to bring up, like, um, literally incredibly animated, the scene when they're, like, running through the paintings. Yes. Um, Excellent. Love that. Literally, like, I miss just, like good animation like so much like and that's all I was thinking during that scene is because it's like um I know it's like it's in the context of the scene but it's just so interesting like all the different styles that they did just in that one scene and it's like so cool I yeah. love it so much yeah um yeah no it's it's that's a great scene like I i almost forgot about while we were on the pod like while we're on the pod but like that mm-hmm. is probably the best scene in the movie just because it's just so 
visually interesting and it, it genuinely i don't know like it just works completely well and like that's another thing i like about this movie is like it all of like the animation like the placement of the looney tunes in the real world feels extremely seamless and i'm almost willing to bet it's gonna feel more seamless in this movie than it does in the new space jam like when they're more like 3d rendered Mm-hmm. And it's gonna very much feel like LeBron talking to a tennis ball or something. <laughs> and but like something about this, like you you kind of just do believe that Daffy is next to Brendan Fraser, or you do believe that like Pepe Le Pew is outside in Paris or something. Like you, it, it feels very lived in. It feels like a genuine world, and I like that. Yeah, I agree. Um. Do we have any final notes on back in action? I know we didn't really talk a lot about the movie, but any other plot um, points we want to bring up? Uh, I'm looking at my notes right now. Um, I, I'll just say like that um, one little bit at the beginning, or some kind of towards the beginning, with mm-hmm. Scooby and Shaggy yeah, having lunch with Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Uh, love that. That is so yeah. funny. <clears throat> That, that, and it's kind of funny to sort of see such an explicit nod because people argue that the Hanna-Barbera cartoons are what killed Warner Brothers in a way or made people feel like the Looney Tunes sort of aged out. But So it was kind of nice to sort of see yeah. that sort of game-recognized game of sort of including that sort of universe <laughs> in there. Yeah. 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 yeah it Matthew was... Lillard um, mascot of Zillennial Canon unofficially. <laughs> no, he's he's a king. He's Zonal King. Um, yeah. And my only other note was um, uh, the villain in this movie literally wants people to regress back to monkey. And in which case, I wrote that isn't, too. isn't that literally just every boy right now? Like, I, <laughs> like, that's just all of Twitter. So, monkey. like, yeah. Yeah, this reject, is literally just reject mo- modernity, regress to monkey. Exactly. Yeah, so maybe all... maybe Acme and Steve Martin had a point, honestly. <laughs> I healed <laughs> my time, thank you. Janice Soprano, my therapist says I'm regressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh yeah, that was uh that was a big note that I had skipped over is that uh our king Matthew Lillard just in the beginning. Um him. yeah i know it's weird because like even though we didn't talk like a ton about the movie it's almost hard to talk about individual bits like it's it's almost better to talk about like the themes and the general like mm-hmm. i don't know like just the the reason it exists and what it's trying to do and yeah the, um i don't say the impact but the the non-impact it had almost yeah. on the industry um it's interesting to me i think the, like, the conversation about the movie but not so much about like the specifics of each scene is more interesting than that. So no, I thought it was a good conversation. Yeah. And final thought is it's kind of funny. The moment like the Timothy Dalton is introduced by a painting and I immediately thought of his uh, role in Hot Fuzz. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Even though in this case, he's actually playing a sort of variant of Timothy Dalton if he actually had more than two James Bond movies. Yeah. <laughs> and also being a little more celebrated as almost a Harrison Ford figure. And I'm like, yeah. I always like Timothy Dalton. I always like that he has a sense of humor about his own sort of bizarre sort of stardom. 
even though he's definitely gifted as sort of a character actor who can do comedy clearly yeah 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 i like that also like um his relationship with like like how brendan fraser's character is just like i don't want to be a nepotism child Yeah. Like, he's just, like, fighting so aggressively against, like, being a nepotism child. And, like, coming from somebody who's not a child of nepotism, go for it, King. <laughs> You'll be living a better life than the rest of us. <laughs> That's my advice, uh, looking back on that. But, yeah. So, Caden, did you want to plug anything on here? Um, I, I mean, I have upcoming pieces, but I'm not really sure if there's too many uh, crossovers with Zillennial canon, unfortunately. I hope to one day discuss Space Jam 2, because I feel like I might have to see it out of obligation as a self-made Looney Tunes scholar, but I'm also <laughs> very nervous. <laughs> but, but I'm also like a basketball fan, and I'm always sort of, I... I am almost more fascinated with LeBron James's whole narrative, and I feel like I know almost where that whole origin story came from. Like, I feel like him finding out that Kobe Bryant was more popular than him in China has basically spurred his entire sort of second half of his career in a way yeah. that I find fascinating. And and also his obsession with wanting to get this made. Like my friend told, my friend sort of made this crack that Stanley Kubrick didn't put this much effort in trying to make Napoleon as LeBron wanting to make Space Jam two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I I've been hearing about Space Jam two with LeBron. I think since like. Man, my days on the beginning of the internet almost like it, it's been like since the conception of his career almost. It's been like <laughs> Space Jam two with LeBron James question mark on like a headline <laughs> every single year, and now it's actually coming out, and it doesn't feel like a real movie. Like a few weeks ago, we were talking about how Cruella doesn't feel like a real movie. We've seen it. It's good. It's real. It's but not Space... a real movie. It's not a, but but Space we Jam like two even but Space Jam two even more I feel like is not a real movie. It's not. It doesn't exist. Yeah, I didn't even have like great expectations. Like if it's if it was like an Uncle Drew level of watching it, watching it while high on the weekend. Like I could, I could go with that. Even though I would be a little disappointed that the Looney Tunes are still not being used properly. But right. this this looks like, again, it looks like if Ready if Ready Player One was directed by a really bad filmmaker, <laughs> and yeah. and unfortunately that seems to be what what is happening. <laughs> well, just like we're doing with the uh, uh, the I was scared two boys, we're doing Good mm -hmm. Boys in November. We might have to like make a special occasion to cover Space Jam Two on Zillow Academy, even though it's not technically a Zillennial movie. Well, we'll have to maybe cover it one day and have you back yeah, on for literally. it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so you can, um, I would definitely also, I'm just going to plug really quick, um, subscribing to your Patreon. Absolutely amazing. Definitely. Mm -hmm. 
I will link that in the description for our listeners because yeah. it's some great reads in your inbox. Yeah, I'm trying to be a little... Unfortunately, I got buried in some deadlines recently, but I'm going to be a little more proactive um, because even though like I'm able to obviously talk about stuff like Looney Tunes, my focus there is more on uh, transgender film images and history. So yeah, it's under Corpses, Fools, and Monsters, which is also my uh, Instagram handle. I'm not active on Twitter anymore. Been one year sober from that. <laughs> And, uh, stronger than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. I still am able by osmosis because people love to share stuff on Twitter on Instagram. So in many ways, it's almost like I've never, I haven't left. I'm yeah. just not active. But uh, yeah, my Instagram is Corpses, Fools, and Monsters. And that is also my Patreon. Yeah. I'll definitely link it in the description. All right. Thank you. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Garlic Emoji, and uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Zillennial Canon and on Twitter at Zillennial Canon. And leave us a review, leave us some voicemails. We got a voicemail for this episode that I've yet to listen to, actually, which is very fun. Um, and yeah, Adam. Oh, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam underscore not Sandler. Um, other podcasts, the Aggressively Paid Podcast. We are somewhat getting back in the swing of things. You know, after winning a film festival, we just got our ego, like our ego got the best of us and we just kind of <laughs> stopped producing episodes for a week or for weeks. But um, here we are, we're back. We're back in action, you could say. Oh um, and uh, also... <laughs> Zillennial back in action. Is that going to be the title? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You could uh, you could probably animate us like into the lo- like in the like little Looney Tunes circle logo like you put yeah. our, like, little faces in there. Oh god! Um, don't give me more work to do this week. Now I want to Photoshop. Sorry. That. <laughs> <laughs> Make the background like orange. Like you yeah. can do it. Yeah. Um, uh, I know it's not coming out till next week, but I was on Seltzercast with friend of the pod Sean and uh, yeah. and me and Joey were on there and that was a blast. I yeah. I think he said it comes out next week, but whenever it yeah, drops, it yeah. Check uh, it out. It, it was a it was a very fun time. I had a great time on there. Can't wait to go try that seltzer at his house tomorrow. It was so Heard good. It was good. <laughs> Spoiler alert for the pod, but that's the best seltzer I've ever had in my life. Uh, try <laughs> that shit. I'm drinking sparkling water from a store bought, and it's and it's great because it still almost tastes like soda. I don't know how else to describe it. Mm-hmm. It's the only sparkling water that has ever made me feel this way, and I'm like, yeah. obsessed with. And it's from Hannaford. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that grocery well, store. Yeah. I'm not even like a seltzer guy myself in general, but um, uh, Sean just somehow got us to do the best possible seltzer last night. And um, well, you, I, you tried the passion fruit LaCroix the first time. And he, I was scared yeah. to try that after that episode because you guys Stop. said that it tasted like dirt. Yeah, it, it it was it was it, it was definitely like a dirty drink, not in a good way. Like it was <laughs> it, it was bad. Um, but this uh, I think I believe it's uh, orange vanilla polar. I think mm-hmm. it's called. Um, it just tastes like cream soda, but with like a little bit of orange in there, and it just mm-hmm. it's it's very smooth. It 
barely tastes like seltzer but in the best kind of way right, you're spoiling your episode right now uh i didn't i didn't even go into this much detail like this is a 24 hour later review like the effects it's like how did the pfizer affect you it's like oh it was like this like um <laughs> but anyway yeah listen to that whenever it comes out uh yeah yeah okay well thank you caden for coming on and yeah. We'll see everybody next week for our second installment of our Looney Tunes double feature. Mm -hmm. Bye, guys.